good to be here, and especially today, the topic that I'm talking about. It's good to be here and talk because we just saw acts of faith, and and what I'm going to be speaking of talks with talks about that about that subject. And um, I call this back in Nazareth, and um, I want to preface where this this came from. Um, I read a book recently called Miracles by. Uh, Eric Metaxas, Metaxas, uh, which I enjoyed, and he told stories of miracles and so uh, experiences and different kinds of things. And so it's just been floating through my mind. And uh, as I was reading scripture, I ran across an interesting verse that um, concerned me. And um, I'll put this on so I can actually see that verse. Um, I'm not talking about miracles per se. I'm talking about uh, what, what may influence those. Uh, and the verse that I have that they'll put up here um, is from Mark 6. And it's when Jesus travels back to his hometown. And uh, he's traveled back to his hometown. And when he gets to his hometown, the phrase at the very end of that uh, He could do no mighty work there except that he had laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. There was some impediment that those people in his hometown provided that restricted, impeded his ability to act in a miraculous way. And uh, why that sort of concerned me was, I wonder, might I do the same thing? Might I get in the way of what God wants to do? And so, um, when I read this verse, I look at mighty work as the idea of miracles. Because it talks about some of the things that he did do, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people uh, and healed them. I put that in the miracle category. Not mighty work like he chopped a lot of wood or he he raised a pole or something. But he was miraculous kinds of things that he, he did. And when I look at this about unbelief, they, they lacked a faith in him to be able to accomplish those things in some way. So I'm, I'm not trying to look at, can we get in the way of God's purposes? That's not, I'm not looking at that gigantic subject, but might I get in the way of what Jesus wants to do in a particular situation or prevent or restrict or impede him in some way? And so I want to look at this situation and I want to... Um, Sort of walk through some things. First, we'll talk a little bit about Nazareth and then Jesus' visit there and then the people who were there and then us. That's sort of the steps that I'll go through. And so we'll go to the next slide. This is where Nazareth, Nazareth is. It's in the hills up near Galilee. It's a community, I think, of about 75,000 people now. When Jesus lived there, it was about 500 to 1,500 people. They, they, don't, they, they may have counted them everywhere somewhere else, but that's roughly what it was. This is Mary, his mother, Jesus' mother's hometown. This is where she was when the angel appeared and said that she was going to be uh, with child. The next slide. This is what Nazareth looks like now. And so uh, it's, it's there. We've heard of that in association with this, but this isn't a place that doesn't exist anymore. It's still, it is still there. And um, 
Jesus was not obviously born there. When we get to Christmas, we talk about that. But he grew up here. He, he lived in Bethlehem for a time. And then uh, an angel appeared or spoke to Joseph in a dream and said, you guys got to get out of town because Herod's coming to get you. And uh, so they went down to Egypt. They were there for a period of time. And then when Herod died, uh, they moved up and they moved back to Nazareth, which was where Mary's family was. So that's how he came to be there in Nazareth and, and, and grew up there. And um, our focus this morning is on the situation that we read about in that verse in Mark and the people there and the interactions they had with Jesus. So his first trip home, it, show, it talks in these verses in, in Luke and in Mark and in Matthew. He goes... He goes back to visit home. He started his ministry, and you see, uh, you see, back a slide. You see, he comes to his hometown. His disciples, some of his disciples, are with him. He teaches in the synagogue, and they say, "Where did he get this wisdom? Where did where did he get this ability to do mighty deeds?" And their response. Uh, this, this is, he's the carpenter here. He's, his mom is here. His siblings, all these kinds of folks are here. Where did he get this? Who does, oh, it doesn't say who does he think he is, but that's sort of what comes across. And he makes a statement, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and his own household. And he, could do, he couldn't do mighty deeds, mighty works in there. And... Uh, uh, Luke elaborates, uh, Matthew says something very similar, we may look at that in a minute, but Luke elaborates on this a little bit more, and he taught in the synagogue, he said some things that they didn't want to hear, and they took him out to throw him off a cliff, that the, the city is on the edge of town. So it did not, we we'll just say it didn't go well, okay? So if you went home and you were visiting with people and they were going to throw you off a cliff, you'd say, this is not, this is not a good situation. Um, maybe I won't go back there uh, later. Uh, wait till some of those people move. The catch is, the catch is, this is, this, this is the, the, the challenge to this is these are the people who were closest to him. These are the people who've known him his, almost his entire life. He's 30 at this point, these are the people who have known him. And, but it wasn't a particularly good visit. And um, when I think back at that and that phrase, I, I just think back again. Am I, uh, they were inhibiting Jesus' works, what he could do in some way. And might I be doing this now? And um, I looked at some other miracles that Jesus did. Let me put that table, that next one. I'm not going to walk through all these other than to say there were time, these are miracles that Jesus did. And sometimes he looked for faith explicitly before he did anything. So you see those when he um, healed the, down at the bottom, he healed the blind man. He says, do you believe? He uh, cast out a demon in Mark 9. And the father said, if you can. And he said, if I can. Okay. But he's looking for faith. Help my unbelief. That's what he, that's what he said. He healed the paralytic when he saw their faith. You see this. He's looking for faith many times. Sometimes he's not. It doesn't explicitly say that. The verse is at the top. He calmed the sea. Now, he did say something about their faith after that, but he wasn't looking at it before he acted. He raised a dead man. He's walking by a funeral, and he sees the mother, the widowed mother, so sad, and he 
said, well, we can do something about that. And so he raised that young man to life. He uh, gets out of a boat over in the Gadarenes, I believe, and there's a man that comes at him with this kind of fight with him or something, and he casts demons out of him. He didn't ask anything about faith before those. He fed the 5,000. He didn't ask anything about faith. So he did things for people who he looked for faith or he requested that ahead of time. He did things where that was not a part of it necessarily or it wasn't explicitly stated. But in the situation in Nazareth, he was looking for it and he didn't, he didn't find it. So I, when I was looking at uh, the people there, the, the them that live in Nazareth, and uh, why this response? These are his neighbors. These are his schoolmates, his class, uh, uh, schoolmates, his customers, his acquaintances, his friends, his relatives. <clears throat> it wasn't a big place. As I mentioned, you might have up to 1,500 people that live in that community. There are communities like this that are around here where everybody knows everybody, especially if you've grown up, if you've grown up there. Um, these are the people who had the hardest time believing the ones that had the hard, most difficult time having faith in him. Now, they had not seen the miracles in those verses in Mark. They talked about, we've heard the things that you've done. Word had gone out about the different things that had happened, and he was, uh, he was uh, being asked, or they expected some of that. But there was no radio, there was no television, social media, uh, you know, tablet, book, or whatever they would have had at that time when they didn't have... All that. So I, th- I thought it, it's sort of sad in a way. Here are the people who are closest to him. It's sad. The people who are closest to him and they're missing. They're missing this. Um, they're right there. They're missing participating and seeing Jesus' work. And the phrase that he said, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, among his relatives, and his own household. I think that may suggest a reason for his unbelief or for their unbelief. If we take a minute um, and think about those people and their prior interactions with Jesus. And um, I put up here, we're going to look at this sort of uh, as if we were interviewed by a TV reporter and how they're responding to the questions of, do you know Jesus? So we have Ruth here. And Ruth, I've I've translated these statements from Hebrew for you. Ruth says, uh, oh, Jesus, yeah, I I know Jesus. Jesus uh, played soccer with my son growing up. Um, He had dinner with us on occasion. He even spent the night at our house sometimes. He was a good kid. And then we have Bubba. Bubba, it's always a Bubba. Jesus, yeah, I know him. He lived down the street from me. I hired him to build some shelves. Uh, quality work, yes, sir. He is a good carpenter. And uh, Daniel, oh, Jesus, yeah, he was one of the students at my school. He sat in the second row on the left. Very an insightful young man, a very good student. And then we have Leah. I, I know him very well. He was my oldest brother. I remember him watching me when mom had to go shopping in the market. I remember him washing and bandaging my knee when I fell down and skinned it. He was a good brother. Now these, these, all these are made up, okay? Just in case that didn't come across, okay? <laughs> but they don't sound far off. I mean, you can picture people saying these things, see, seeing him in this way. 
They growed up with him. They played with him. They went to school with him. They worked with him or had hired him to work for them. Um, I want to suggest that this is the way that the people in Nazareth saw him or thought about him. And that helped prompt their unbelief in him and what he could do. But we don't want to come down too hard on them because we might not have acted any differently. And uh, I, I want to bring this up to the present day. We look at the situation. I think we can understand them. Other people are telling us this fellow can do amazing things. Um, and you can understand if you heard that why it would be difficult to believe at all. Uh, but I think they're in particular trapped in a mindset about them, about him, about Jesus. They're not thinking bad things about him. They're not thinking bad things about him. We don't get that from the interviews. They thought he was a good kid, a good carpenter, a good student, a good brother. Um, the challenge of the unbelief, I think, is they're looking at his humanity, who he was just here. And they're not picturing him who he, who he truly is, the other aspect of who he was. He's just a good man, and that view is incomplete. They have a diminished view, a small view, of who Jesus is. And based on their experience, it's not inaccurate, it's just, it's just incomplete. <clears throat> Maybe they focused on Jesus that they could see, a, a guy in a robe with a beard and callous hands, and, and what he looked like or their experiences with him. That's not, it's not hard to understand. I'm going to show a, a video clip here that I think puts this, illustrates how we can do the same thing. Present present day, or how we, at least we can understand how this can happen. So if you'll put that clip on. No, wrong clip. The one, go, it's prior, I think it's prior to that one. Hmm? That was an interesting clip. <laughs> Wrong clip, but interesting. Yeah. Huh? No, it was, I think it just rolled over to that one. They're sitting at the dinner table. That's it. That's it. <clears throat> so over dinner, the father hears the message from his daughter that she is going to get married, or she's engaged to be married. Not a bad thing. Why does he have a difficult time comprehending this? Because of how he sees her. And so um, 
This is, it's not difficult to understand. He's known her for a long time since she was born. He thinks good things about her. There's a problem because he pictures her as less than she truly is. And that undermines what he thinks is appropriate or she's appropriate for her, or what she's capable of. It's not just in the movies. We can experience this uh, ourselves now. Uh, for example, my mom is in her 70s and she went to see a doctor uh, in recent years. And I remember her saying that she thought he looked like a teenager. <laughs> so you get to a certain point, you sort of think. So I'm sure he was licensed, he was experienced, he was fully capable, all that kind of thing. But uh, the way that she looked at him and the experience that she had just right off the bat uh, undermined, at least initially, what she thought he was capable of, which was probably a hard thing when you're going to go into a surgery situation in particular. But she wasn't thinking bad things. She just didn't appreciate who he truly was. And so... This is not just back in Nazareth. This is not just the people there and Jesus in that situation. It's how we might interact with him ourselves. Um, we can have a diminished view of who he is 2,000 years away from Nazareth, or almost 2,000 years, 2016. And we can do the same things that the people in that hometown did year, years ago. <clears throat> we think, um, how we think of Jesus and our experience with him may restrict our belief and our faith in what he can do in general and what he can do in and through us. Um, I don't think that we have to have a bad view of that for that to be lacking. It's just incomplete. It's just, it's just not a full appreciation of who he is. And how can this happen? I think of myself. I've read books about Jesus. I have seen movies. Jesus is in it. I've heard teaching about Jesus. This stuff's not bad. It's not detrimental. Uh, it's just many times incomplete. Um, he's God. He's not just a good guy and a helper and a friend. He's God in the flesh. He's God incarnate. He walked around on here. And the question that comes to mind next is, so what difference does this make? Is this worth sort of wrestling with this, this uh, idea? And I suggest that uh, if we think less of him than he truly is, if we focus on just his humanity, Jesus as a historical person, then we'll have a diminished view of Jesus. And we'll have a diminished view of what we think he's capable of doing in us and through us, in general and as well as in us and through us. And it's not because we're thinking bad of him. It's because we're thinking less of him. <clears throat> We see a lot of people in the Old Testament, we see a lot of people in Scripture that had uh, experiences with God and it rocked their world. Um, think of Job. He thought God was a good God. You hear him in his discussions with uh, the friends that come by. He's suffering tremendously and he, he talks about how God is good and God is just and all these kinds of things. Those things are true. But when God appears to him, and ask him lots of questions, all of a sudden he doesn't have a whole lot of things to say. His view of God went from God's a good, I mean, he's good, to, okay. Isaiah, when he's called up to heaven, he's already a prophet. He already understands God is holy. He already understands God is a good God. He's working. And when he goes up to heaven and he's before God, he 
says basically he's melting, he's disintegrating before a holy God. And here's a, a guy that's probably in better shape than most of the rest of the state or the country of Israel, his people at that time. In the New Testament, Peter and James and John, before they went up the mountain when he was transfigured, probably thought of him a little differently than what they encountered up there and came back. He goes up there, and it's funny because his, his glory leaked out. He had that glory. It was veiled. It was hidden. But all of a sudden it revealed, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became so bright they glowed. And so he is, he, he, you know, this doesn't just, I haven't seen this kind of thing happen with anybody that I've been around. But here they are. I was just cooking over a campfire and eating fish with this guy a couple of days ago, and we were breaking bread up and eating, you know. And this is, you know, campfire story, and then this happens. And I'm sure when they came down that mountain, their whole view of who God was, of who Jesus was, had changed. <clears throat> John, if you put the verse from Revelation up there. John, the closest disciple, the one that would lean against him, He's, this is the first chapter of Revelation. So here's his, his best bud, you know, his favorite peep. You know, this, is his, this is his friend. And here's John writing, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. And then I turned to see that voice, and I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was the, like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Somehow I'm thinking he thought differently of Jesus that evening than he did that morning. And there are some parts of that description that are symbolic. They're hard to understand. I don't, I don't know what they mean. We should ask Ira. He, he did study on this. Elaborate on that at some point. But um, he saw him differently. He didn't see him, if he had thought of him as small, whatever the small was, before transfiguration, it was bigger. And here we go, even bigger than that. He's, he is it, tremendous. Paul, I don't know that he had as many problems with this because he never walked around with Jesus. The first time he met him, he was blind for three days. And his whole life was turned around on a dime. So he, I don't know that he had that same perspective. He went from he's bad to he's God in, in, in an, enormous, an enormous display. In all these people's views, God was increased. Their people's view of God was increased. He was a greater person than they had understood him to be based on their prior experiences with him. 
And I'm sure their faith in him and what they thought he was capable of doing had changed tremendously as well. I'm suggesting that we shouldn't restrict Jesus to his humanity, to a historical figure and or our experience with him. Uh, We're not to regard him according to his outward appearance from an earthly perspective, just like everybody else. Um, We need to understand him as he truly is. Scripture tells us that. This is not some, I'm going to meditate and it's all going to come to mind. Scripture tells us these things, just like those verses in Revelation tell you, this is not the guy that lives next door. This This is not just anybody. This is somebody that is truly unique. We see his examples here of his humanity over on the, the one side, who he was, who they saw him to be. The crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth. Below that, all spoke well of him. They said, isn't this Joseph's son? In Philippians, it said he took the form of a servant. Those are earthly perspectives of who Jesus is. They're true. They're just incomplete. Over on the, the right-hand side, let's go back. On the right-hand side, you see the rest of that story of who he is. He was in the image of the man of heaven. He was the son of God. He, he is a, a servant before, but now he's the Lord of lords and the king of kings. Next, next slide. Who he was. He was born in the likeness of men, Philippians tells us. Colossians says he's the image of the invisible God. He emptied himself. In Philippians later on it said, and he had emptied himself, if you understand, as one of no reputation, unknown, nothing to make him stand out. God exalted him and gave him a name that's above every name. In Mark 6, it's the carpenter. Colossians 1, all things were created through him. He didn't just make furniture or build houses. He created wood. It's a different, it's a different perspective on who he is. One side, the stuff that's over here, who he was, is not false. It's not bad. It's not wrong. It's incomplete. And if we dwell on that side, then we will think of Jesus in a smaller way than we should. Paul gives a verse in Corinthians that focuses in in the Corinthians. They were having difficulties with focusing on the outward appearance. On the outward appearance of people. And, and I presume that they were treating people that looked rich because of how they dressed differently than people who looked poor and old and young and all this kind. Of, I presume they were doing that. And he says, we don't look at outward appearances anymore. That's not, what we're, that's not who we are and that's not what we're about. If you put that verse from Corinthians up here. This is what Paul had to say in 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5.16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Regarding no one according to the flesh can be translated from a human point of view, from an earthly perspective. We're not to regard each other in that way. 
And we're not to regard Jesus in that way. We're not to look on just his outward appearance uh, because that's, that's earthly eyes. We're to look at who he really is, the divinity side, not just the humanity part that would have been the focus in the past. And the reason for that is it just yields uh, a diminished view of who he is and, and what he can do in and up through us. So in the beginning, I raised the question of might I or might we restrict, impede Jesus' ability to work, God's ability to work because of our lack of faith, our insufficient faith. Not we have none, just it's insufficient because it's faith in the human person, the, the guy that's out of the Jesus film or the one that's out of the, the Ben-Hur movie that's out now. We, we restrict our vision to that. That's what we picture, and that is small. God is so much greater than that. And if we expand who we understand him to be, not make it up, we can go right to Scripture and see those things, then we will have a bigger appreciation for who he is and what he can do in and through us. And that is faith, a bigger picture of what he can do in and through us. I want to end with that last, that last slide. Which one is your Jesus? The one that made the table or the one that made the galaxies, the universe? It's a nice table. Nothing against the table. It just yields a small person. It just yields a small, diminished view of who Jesus is. So let us, let, let's pray here, and then we'll wind up. Father God, we, we thank you that you came to earth, and you revealed yourself through human flesh, and you uh, showed us your character and who you were. We were able to see that and, and, and read about that in the life of Jesus. And, and we thank you for the scripture that expands on that and tells us who he was. And we just pray for uh, a bigger picture, that you reveal who, who you are. You reveal who Jesus is to us in such an enormous way that our uh, understanding of him, our faith in him, our belief in who he is and what he can do, just is it just blows our mind and that you do that over and over and over again in different ways because we are pretty dense in terms of this we can appreciate it at one time and it just goes away we just thank you that you uh, love us thank you that you uh, have a desire for us to uh, love you as you truly are and to um, uh, to be a, a Big in in uh, in our in our eyes to be more full in our eyes, and we pray that uh, our faith will grow and it will uh, give us a greater appreciation of what you can do in and through us. In Jesus' name, Amen.